Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Shalom, listeners of The Forecast with Harry Enten. It is I, Harry Enten, bringing you another mini-episode of the podcast. And boy, let me tell you, folks, I got a huge, huge surprise. Can you guess what it is? It's Ryan Nobles. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Harry. How's it going, brah? Oh, buddy, I'm so excited to be back with you. I honestly felt a little bit envious that you've been producing episodes of The Forecast without Rebecca and I. So I I hustled up here to New York. I convinced him to let me anchor the 11 o'clock show for an entire week just so I could be on this mini pod with you. You know, I was watching on on that 11 o'clock program earlier, and let me tell you, you looked fantastic. I couldn't hear what you were saying. I had it on mute, but you looked fantastic. Well, good. That's all that matters. You know, that's what all TV is. It's just graphics, car crashes, and good looks. (laughs) In any event, let's uh, do a little mini episode here about campaign launches yes, and you know yes. i'm specifically interested in one of the main men in this race bernie sanders because yeah. you were obviously covering him but i was looking over at the polling data and it seemed to me so far that bernie had one of the best launches out there well i don't think there's any doubt that his campaign feels that he's had one of the best launches ever they were very pleased uh, initially with the way that uh, the launch was perceived. They were ecstatic over the amount of money he raised. The way he raised that money, $5.9 million uh, from 223,000 individual donors, uh, contribution level in the 25 to $27 average range. They've been thrilled with the crowds he's he's received. I was in Chicago and Brooklyn for the first two big rallies. There were well over 10,000, maybe as many as 15,000 people at both rallies. He's been received pretty well in both uh, Iowa, New Hampshire, and in South Carolina. He's going to California already. So they feel like they're off and running. Um, and, you know, I think as evidence from what you've seen in the numbers, uh, it seems as though, at least to a certain extent, the voters are responding to his entrance as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I was looking at the poll numbers and I compared where the different candidates were bef- the month before they launched and then looked at the poll numbers a month after they launched. And Bernie Sanders, for instance, was averaging 15 percent in the polls the month before he launched. But then in the month after he launched, mm-hmm. he was averaging 22 percent in the national poll. So that's a seven-point jump. That's around in the same region as Kamala Harris, who jumped Five points from 6 to 11 percent. And Beto O'Rourke, obviously, it hasn't been a full month after right. he launched. But so far in the polls in the week conducted after he did, he jumped six points from 5 percent to 11 percent. And I think for the Sanders campaign, that was really important because there's always been this impression of Bernie that he has kind of a natural baked in level of support that's there, whether he's a candidate or not a candidate, is going to be with him from the beginning until the end. And to that end, they're concerned that there isn't a lot of growth available for him. So the idea that he would be able to come into the campaign, you know, have this splashy launch, get the money that he needs, draw the big crowds, and then that would also correlate 
with real movement in the polls, I think they feel is a good sign. Because the biggest knock against Bernie Sanders is maybe he's got 30% rock-solid support in the Democratic Party, but that is his ceiling. Right. And that, you know, maybe there's a scenario by which he picks apart a couple of the early states with only that 30% level of support. He's got to do better than that somewhere down the road if he's ultimately going to be the Democratic nominee. You know, it was so interesting to me as I look back now on the different launches and the different things that sort of predicted almost that's different rises for the for Sanders or Rourke Harris versus, you know, Booker, Klobuchar, Moore and really not getting it. Uh, we mentioned money, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you look at Google Trends and you see how the different candidates have been responded to by the public and how many people have been searching their names, you see that Sanders, O'Rourke and Harris are clearly in a level above everybody yeah. else. But I do have this question in my own mind as I've sort of watched the coverage. You know, there was a pretty good piece on 538, for example, that looked at, you know, how often the different candidates were being mentioned in the press. And Bernie Sanders has gotten more mention than yeah. anybody else. And I wonder, as a reporter, as you're out there covering, and obviously we're in the media, how much control we actually have. Are yeah. we setting the narrative, or is the narrative being set and we're merely following Yeah, it? I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I do think that Bernie has, and I think probably Joe Biden is in this category, then maybe a little bit further down the pike, you could put Beto O'Rourke in that category, of having this level of instant recognizability that not all the other candidates enjoy. Nobody really knows who Eric Swalwell is. Even Amy Klobuchar needs uh, to introduce herself to the American people. Maybe Elizabeth Warren is in that category of people who are well-known. I'll tell you a quick story about how do. about how well-known Bernie Sanders is yeah. and how this is probably part of why he gets so much media attention. Uh, so Bernie had a pretty quick uh, weekend opening campaign swing. He started in Brooklyn. Uh, Then he went to Alabama for a brief stopover in Selma to mark the anniversary of the Bloody Sunday uh, situation there, and then immediately went to Chicago. Well, about a week before, there was a little bit of a dust-up because uh, a story about how he had demanded uh, private air travel during his time. Sure. The Clinton people leaked that quite well. Exactly. On behalf of Hillary Clinton. So they wanted to make sure that, you know, Bernie's preference for travel was commercial air travel. Well, when traveling from Selma, Alabama, which you do, you travel through Montgomery, Alabama to sure. get to Chicago, that's going to require, if you're flying commercial, yeah, right. that's going to require a, a level of, of commuter airline. And so he and uh, his aide that he was with, Josh Orton, who told me the story, said that, uh, that the senator uh, uh, connected in Charlotte, which is a major American hub, and the, the flight that landed in Montgomery and the flight that, uh, that was taking off to go to Chicago was literally a mile from one side of the airport to the other. And it said he said it probably took him an hour and a half to get from one side of the airport to the other because everywhere Bernie went, somebody was stopping and asking for a selfie with him because he is a, a celebrity. He is that well known. And, you know, even if you don't like him or maybe you're not going to vote for him. You probably, if you see Bernie Sanders in the airport, you're going to take a selfie with him because that's going to get a lot of likes on your Instagram. So I think that, you know, anybody who has that level of popularity, that's going to draw media interest. And then down the road, does that media interest then lead to support and votes? You know, one of the things that I am almost questioning here, you know, you're talking Instagram, you're talking social media. And that to me is another interesting facet. I think all of us, or the vast majority of us in the media are focusing on our Twitter feeds. Right, yeah. We are focusing 
on who, which candidates are getting responses from our Twitter feeds. And that, to me, gives actually a candidate like Sanders or a candidate like O'Rourke an advantage. Because if you know about who are the people who are actually on Twitter talking about the mm-hmm. candidates, right. we know that the people who are following us tend to be younger people. Right. And if you look at a Democratic primary poll right now, what you see is that Bernie Sanders' support is overwhelmingly coming from younger voters, yeah. right? I think mm-hmm. in our CNN poll, for example, we saw that Bernie Sanders was capturing 32 percent of the Democratic primary vote among voters under the age of 45 versus just 8 percent of the vote from voters 45 years and older. So it's almost maybe we're getting a mixed signal. I think it's something we almost have to keep in mind that that Twitter is not actually the Democratic electorate. (laughs) Or real life, maybe, in some respect. No, that's a great point. And I think, you know, the conversation online often doesn't translate to what you're hearing from voters on the ground. And I I do think that's part of the reason that it's so important for reporters like me to actually go to these states and actually talk to these people that show up at these events and find out what they're interested in. And that's one of the reasons that Iowa and New Hampshire uh, tend to work really well as early voting states, not necessarily demographically. And I I do think that there's probably a conversation to have about the influence they have from that perspective. But just in terms of their experience level in vetting these candidates, you know, as soon as you get further down the primary calendar schedule, you're really talking about people that show up at these events as being diehard supporters of of the candidates. But in Iowa and New Hampshire, they literally go to sample. They want to know What's interesting about this candidate? They they actually want the opportunity to ask these candidates specific questions about these big issues. And a lot of times those questions are not the questions that we're raising on Twitter. They're not the same questions that are might be coming up in a, in a cable news chat show. So I, I think that that's something that we sometimes forget. And I do think that the candidates themselves and their campaigns seem to understand that. Let me, let me ask you this question. You've been out on the road and one of the people, you know, best launches – I measure that by the polls, right? Yeah. But I guess there's another way to potentially measure it, you know, in terms of which candidates are actually getting their name out there and becoming better known, which is obviously what you want to use a launch to do. Right. And uh, the Mayor Pete. Right. uh, Whose last name is? Buttigieg. Thank you. Yes. And, you know, I'm looking at his Google trend line. It does seem to be going up, but it doesn't seem to be a lot of movement in the polls. Have you been hearing anything about him on your campaign stops? Obviously, you're mostly covering Bernie. Right. No, I think he's a great example of, you know, this uh, the ability of somebody to have a dark horse candidacy because there's nothing but the sky that's the limit for him. You know, he's starting from a a place of, of basically being an unknown candidate. He's getting these media platforms that he only receives because he's decided to run for president, because who would have thought the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, was in a place like that? Uh, would be in a position to run for president. And I think what's most interesting about Buttigieg's early campaign is, yes, he's impressive, incredibly smart guy, interesting life story, first uh, candidate for president for a major party uh, uh, who is openly gay, uh, married, um, and presenting himself as such. And when you talk to people about that are undecided in these early states, who do you like the most? Generally, they're going to give you Biden, Sanders, even Beto, uh, Kamala, those names come up first. But then you ask them, well, who else are you interested in? Who do you? Who else is like has given you a pause to think about? Mayor Pete is almost is the name that comes up almost in every single conversation. Uh, it's interesting to see how he's one of these candidates who 
there aren't that many people who say, I want him to be the next president, but the, he's definitely maybe the leader among the candidates that voters want to learn more about the most. I'll bring up this CNN poll that we just uh, got back from earlier this week, taken last weekend. And the question it said, which best describes your, how you currently feel about the Democratic field of candidates for president? Only 37 percent said there are there are one or two candidates you would rather see win the nomination over the others versus 59% who said you see the field is wide open and it's too early to say which candidates you might support in the end. I think that's a real indication that although polls at this point are perhaps more telling Mm -hmm. than a lot of people want to acknowledge, it's not necessarily, oh, my God, the most wide open race ever. If you're winning at this point, you have a better chance of winning than obviously if you're losing this point of primary. But it does suggest that people are still window shopping and we're still 11 months out from Iowa, 10 and a half now from being fully accurate. Well, that's be a great question for you. I often think about this and and I see where Kamala Harris is in the polls right now. Would you argue like historically from a statistical standpoint, it is good to be the front runner? Like if it's okay to be Joe Biden, even though he could fall from that perch? uh, Or is it better to be someone like her who started off from a pretty low point is steadily kind of moving? I mean, I know you think she's not steadily rising up the polls, but she's improving her position in the polls. I mean, where is there a better place to be? I I would say this. What we know from the polls at this point is someone who generally is hitting the high 20s in the polls is right on that cusp of basically being, if you're polling like in the 30s or 40s or 50s, like Hillary Clinton was, you almost always win the nomination. If the leader's polling like around 20%, much less of a chance. Biden's right on that cusp. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when he gets in. Does he get that bump that these other candidates have? Does he receive that media attention? If he does, then perhaps he can climb into the mid-30s, even the high 30s, and then he's probably a pretty formidable front runner. If, however, he really doesn't see a bump, then we may have just seen that the peak on the day he announced. So is it important for him to quickly get out of the gate? If he doesn't immediately catch the attention and start to coalesce support, is he in trouble? Or is, there, would, is there room for him to kind of I mean, bump ob- up and obvious, down? Obviously, I think if you're Joe Biden, you want to see a bump. I don't think it's deadly to his candidacy if he doesn't. But I would certainly take a second eye and say, hey, maybe this is the max for the candidate once people actually get to know him and start taking shots. So statistically, what would be your argument for and against this idea that he's thinking about announcing with a running mate by his side? I don't know if there's really statistically anything. There's not anything been quite like this, right? We yeah. have a deal with a small sample size. But the one thing that I will say is that on Twitter, it's getting shot down as an idea. But just remember that Twitter is not the Democratic primary. That's right. Electorate. That's right. <laughs> oh, my God. I think our producer is giving me the sign to wrap up. Ryan, that means we got to go. Oh. But but I have good news for you. You yes. want to grab some uh, Wendy's? Uh, I would love I'd love some Wendy's and mm. all and what else diet a diet diet AW cream soda. Diet Wendy's, yeah. Di- diet Wendy's. Let's go to Wendy's and get that and then we'll we'll stop at Popeye's for a for a snack afterwards. Perfect. I, nothing I like more for dessert than fried chicken. Well, that'll do it for us today. If you like this mini episode, remember to go to Apple Podcast or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast and hit the subscribe button. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. 
Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.